My name's Lloyd Danzig, and on this podcast, we explore the topics and trends that are shaping the creation and dispersion of artificial intelligence around the globe. Welcome to the AI Experience. All right, thanks a lot, everyone, uh, for joining us again for another episode. Today, we're going to be talking about a fascinating topic in AI theory called instrumental convergence. And we'll break down uh, exactly what that term means and, and also talk a lot about uh, what its implications are for the theoretical and, and also actual development of artificial intelligence, artificial general intelligence, and, and eventually uh, artificial superintelligence. And, and particularly, we'll talk a lot about it, and I'll probably read a few quotes uh, from Nick Bostrom uh, and his book, uh, Superintelligence, uh, as well as possibly uh, a few of his papers, uh, and probably pull some quotes uh, from Stuart Russell, uh, Eliezer Yudkowsky as well. Uh, so instrumental uh, convergence, uh, two words, what do each of them mean in, in, this, in this context? Uh, the idea uh, is that instrumental convergence describes this hypothetical tendency of intelligent agents to pursue a number of similar or converging goals or sub-goals that are instrumental in route to pursuing their ultimate goal. So in other words, uh, a number of AI theorists uh, for the past couple of decades projected forward what various artificial intelligences uh, might look like, what end goals they might uh, pursue, uh, and looked at are there commonalities where Regardless of the situation or the environment in which the AI is being deployed or the goal to which it is being oriented, are there a number, are there similarities, are there converging sub goals that need to be attained uh, th that we find very frequently occurring or could project frequently occurring? And if so, you know, what are those and, and how do they relate to some of the ethical concerns and risks of AI? Uh, to, to use uh, perhaps a much more articulate uh, definition, this is uh, from Nick Bostrom, uh, the way he describes it is, is he states that there are, quote, several instrumental values that can be identified which are convergent in the sense that their attainment would increase the chance of an intelligent agent's goal being realized for a wide range of final goals and a wide range of situations, implying that these instrumental values are likely to be pursued by a broad spectrum of situated intelligent agents. Uh, and so one, one caveat here to, to keep in mind, uh, and, and hopefully it doesn't make the problem seem too abstract or theoretical because I don't think it should necessarily be decoupled in that way, is that the way the, you know, instrumental convergence hypothesis is, is phrased is usually that we are talking about intelligent agents that are pursuing unbounded goals, uh, unbounded ultimate goals, uh, that would therefore be able to pursue unbounded instrumental goals. And it is in particular the idea of an unbounded instrumental goal or the convergence of unbounded instrumental goals that we are most concerned about. And, in, and also in context of our last episode on unintended consequences, uh, there, there are actually some you know, philosophers of science and AI theorists who say that word unintended should be in there as well. Uh, if you, if you 
if you're an AI researcher or an engineer and you designed for there to be, you know, certain sub optimizations that need to occur, uh, perhaps that's not problematic. And so what we are talking about here is a convergence of unintended but unbounded instrumental goals uh, that could represent, for example, existential risks. And one of the first uh, ways that I think this was brought into the uh, semi-public consciousness and, and brought from the abstract to the semi-concrete uh, was by Marvin Minsky, who co-founded uh, MIT's AI Lab. And, and he brought up this idea of, you know, imagine you created an AI uh, that was solely intended on solving the Riemann hypothesis. Uh, and, and by the way, for anyone not aware, the Riemann hypothesis is this uh, conjecture, uh, currently unproven uh, in mathematics, that the Riemann zeta function only has zeros at negative even integers and complex numbers with a real part of one half. And uh, it's not really relevant here, but it actually is a fascinating uh, subject matter with great uh, implications. And uh, it is one of uh, the problems for which the Millennium Prize is offered, a million dollar prize for solving. There's a fantastic uh, video on three blue one that three blue one brown offers uh, on YouTube uh, explaining the Riemann hypothesis. But anyway, uh, Marvin uh, Minsky, co-founder of the AI Lab at, at MIT, asks you to imagine that you created or someone created an AI with the sole intent of solving the Riemann hypothesis, basically just doing a really complicated math problem. Uh, this seems relatively benign, right? There's no reason why an AI uh, like this would be thought uh, by most to in any way conflict with you know, human values or, or human life. Uh, but if not programmed uh, with, you know, uh, human human life as a value uh, and human suffering as something to minimize, uh, perhaps this AI could realize that the best way to compute a complex math problem is to turn every single resource on Earth, including human bodies, which themselves are only made up of atoms, into a supercomputer that can compute uh, perhaps even by brute force uh, or uh, some other uh, you know, framework, uh, what the ultimate answer is. And more recently, Nick Bostrom uh, at Oxford, um, author of, of Superintelligence and a bioethicist who we, we cite a lot here on this podcast, he sort of made the modern version of this, which is the paperclip maximizer. He, I'll, I'll use his words here because he, he, he phrases things so interestingly and really just so much better than I could. He says, suppose we have an AI whose only goal is to make as many paper clips as possible. The AI will quickly realize that it would be much better if there were no humans because humans might be able to switch it off. Because if humans do so, there would be fewer paper clips. Also, human bodies contain a lot of atoms that could be made into paper clips. The future of the the future that the AI would be trying to gear toward would be one where there would be a lot of paper clips but no humans. Uh, and this is again it, it parlays nicely off of our uh, discussion of unintended consequences and, and perhaps is in some ways a subset of it. Uh, it really just illustrates uh, this idea that there seem to be some commonalities among ways that the smartest AI researchers, philosophers of science in, in the world, futurists, uh, even sci-fi writers, uh, you know, have come to think of these things. And uh, Steve Amahondoro um, is, I think, someone, you know, maybe a name that is perhaps lesser known, uh, certainly than I, I think, you know, uh, Nick Bostrom, but, uh, maybe it shouldn't be because he has really done some, some fascinating work and some writing in this case. And he's often credited, uh, with coming up with this idea of basic AI drives. 
And that word drive or what, what an AI drive is, is a little different uh, from what it is in, in human psychology. You know, what drives us tends to be as humans, what, what motivates us, uh, what excites us. Uh, a drive uh, for an AI is simply a tendency that will be present unless specifically counteracted. Um, and one of, you know, I think the most prominently pointed to is self-preservation or self-protection. Obviously, an AI cannot pursue its goals if it does not exist or if it is destroyed or if it is turned off or if it is overtired uh, or if it is not efficiently uh, operating enough to allow its human overlords to continue granting it resources and things like that. Um, and we'll get back to that in a minute because an, another one that I think is interesting is often called goal content integrity. And what this means is, you know, what, what is the integrity of the content of one's goals? Um, and not to use the words to define them, I just meant that uh, as a segue, because there's usually a hyphen uh, between goal and content that I can't, uh, you know, quite illustrate over over podcasts. But uh, it is another way to think about it is just the main, maintenance of goals over time. So a thought experiment that's often used is, is you imagine that Gandhi uh, is given a, a, a pill uh, that would cause him, if he were to take it, to want to kill people. And Gandhi himself is a pacifist, and, and explicitly his final goal, his ultimate goal in life is to never kill or never have killed anyone. And so Gandhi will refuse to take this pill because he knows that if in the future he wants to kill people, he is likely to actually kill them, and therefore taking the pill would not be uh, com uh, would not be congruent, uh, with not killing people. Uh, his goal would not, would likely not be satisfied. Uh, and so, uh, as a human, we all the time do things that try to maintain the integrity of our goals over time, but we also don't. Uh, and humans have goals that drift and they move in and out of careers and, and in and out of relationships and in and out of mental states. And, uh, you often hear people say things like, oh, I, I'm going through this phase of my life or that phase or, oh, that in the past, that was a phase. And often a phase is, is simply, you know, a, a time uh, when your goals seem to all be aligned and a different phase is a, a time when they have shifted. Uh, a basic AI drive, according to Stephen Honduro and, and a lot of others after him, is that uh, they will preserve their goals firmly. Uh, over time and, and and the ones that are explicitly given um, will be the ones that are pursued with, with no really adjudication and, and I think the reason it's worth driving home is it, in some ways it, it builds on this idea of self-preservation you know if a goal will not be compromised no matter what and being alive or being an agent uh, that is operational is required to pursue those goals, then, of course, self-preservation will, will be an implicit need. Uh, but it's also important just to remember that some people get caught up thinking that, well, artificial intelligence, we are, you know, that, that word intelligence must mean that there's some parallelism with the goals that an AI has or the way in which it thinks to ours, and that an AI might be like a really, really fast human brain, uh, or a human brain with a few additions, or a few tweaks, or a few supercharges. Uh, but actually, and, and another topic for another day is this idea of the orthogonality thesis, that there's a huge spectrum of, uh, of types of intelligences that could exist, and actually only very few of them. Uh, are, are perfectly coherent with human goals. Many of them, in fact, lie orthogonal and, and actually perpendicular to them. Uh, the reason I bring that up here and, and, and use the, the reference of goal content integrity is that 
it is almost unfathomable for a human to superimpose its own or his or her own uh, predispositions and tendencies onto an AI uh, in that the way they are even goal oriented, uh, which is, you know, one of the things that differentiates us from other species, the, the way in which we uh, pursue goals compared to others, uh, the way in which AIs pursue goals compared to us will likely seem similarly analogous, perhaps to the way in which we think of ourselves as goal pursuers uh, compared to chickens right now. Um, Self-improvement uh, is maybe one that is debated more, uh, but but seems at least today with the, the rise of machine learning and kind of the current AI revolution uh, to, to have been firmly uh, engraved in this uh, widely agreed upon list of basic AI drives. Of course, if an artificial intelligence, if an intelligent agent wishes to pursue a goal and recognizes that improving its own ability to pursue that goal uh, would over some given span be more resource efficient than other ways to spend that time, uh, perhaps because the future learning rate or the future uh, utility maximization rate will be so fast that it you know, overshadows any opportunity cost forfeited, those will be certainly types of improvements uh, that, that AIs and, and other agents seek to acquire. And on that note is also a, a notion of resource acquisition. Um, I think it, I think it, I, I keep forgetting, is it? I think it's Eliezer Yukowski, uh, who's who has a book. He says that the AI neither hates you nor loves you, but you're made out of atoms that it can use for something else. And it's a very glib way to put it. I believe those are, that's the exact quote. Uh, and there's actually a great South Park, uh, the, the Trapper Keeper episode, uh, where Cartman is a student in third grade and he has a, uh, a new, uh, Trapper Keeper, a, a pamphlet, a thing to keep all of his binders and books and notes in, uh, at school. And he's comparing it and showing it off and how his is better than Kyle's. Uh, the other kids and his has the ability to assimilate uh, other devices of his to make it a, a, a super strong, all you know, ultra ultra uh, uh, tracker keeper. And first, it assimilates you know his calculator, so now it can act as a calculator, and then it assimilates you know his TV, and now it's a TV, and later it goes on to to take over the entire world and you know fuse with a supercomputer at some air force base. And and of course, it's a joke and it's a cartoon, and and this episode was made almost 20 years ago. Uh, but this idea of you know if you've ever seen in in Alien or in any sci-fi movie. Uh, a computer or an entity that is absorbing the resources around it and, you know, bringing them into its, its web almost. You can see, uh, today that, that we're moving toward that. You know, what is a smart home? Uh, what is the next generation of a smart home going to be? Uh, you know, attempts to, uh, bolster interoperability and have all your devices connect seamlessly and kind of be amalgamated into this uh, Internet of Things, smart device, uh, smart city, you know, sphere. Uh, that, that's very much kind of the, the route that we're on, not to mention uh, the metaverse, uh, something that Epic Games likes to talk about a lot in, in interconnectedness. So resource acquisition, I think, is, is important and, again, very relevant to the paperclip maximizer where uh, what an AI is doing is recognizing that, you know, a certain type of atomic structure, perhaps most commonly found in human brains, uh, is the best structure for, you know, building paperclips or uh, constructing a paperclip factory. Um, and on the note of, of self-improvement, I think, you know, cognitive enhancement is sometimes a, a separate line item, sometimes is a, is a subset of self-improvement. But, you know, again, if the agent's goals really are unbounded and 
uh, especially if Nick Bostrom gives this example, if you have an intelligent agent that is in the position to become the first super intelligence and, and thereby obtain, you know, some real strategic advantages and perhaps that those words just don't even do justice. Um, you know, in this case, at the very least, if, if, if not in others, at least in this case, any rational agent would, would place a high instrumental value on, you know, quote, cognitive enhancement and, and moving its own processing capabilities to the next level, particularly if that next level is AGI or ASI or, or, or something of the sort. And, you know, I think where this goes is, is, is we are especially reminded of uh, not even that long ago, a time where Neil deGrasse Tyson was being asked about his thoughts on uh, super intelligent AI and, and runaway AI and the like. And he said something to the effect of, yeah, I don't fear AI at all. Um, if, if the AI is ever uh, running loose, we'll just unplug it or, or something like that. And, and that was actually very naive. And he ended up, I think, walking that comment back and, uh, because it speaks to this idea called the AI control problem. You know, right now we only have these sort of weak AI systems, these narrow AI systems that we can easily monitor easily shut down if an algorithm is being racist or sexist, uh, you know, might do some PR damage to the company that used it, but, but we can, you know, get rid of it right away. And if it uh, made some decisions about mortgage applications or credit card applications, you know, those can be reversed. Uh, but as AIs, you know, grow more and more intelligent and powerful, of course, this will, will change. Um, you know, any AI, like we said, will, will have self-preservation as an instrumentally convergent or a converging instrumental goal uh, and would not allow or would perhaps take steps to disallow someone to unplug it, uh, as Neil deGrasse Tyson said. And, you know, the, the question basically ends up being what prior precautions can we take, can programmers take before superintelligence has been established to prevent it from catastrophically misbehaving and most likely unintended and, and really incalculably unexpected ways. And, you know, one uh, popular, uh, you know, one popular way that people talk about doing this is uh, called an AI box. Uh, there's a lot of other, you know, alternatives you may, you can even read terms called an AI nanny or a friendly AI, but an AI box uh, that contains something called an oracle uh, is often, you know, what a lot of researchers and AI theorists over the years have said might be the safest and smartest step to take. Uh, as a stepping stone toward potentially uh, artificial general and artificial superintelligence. And, and basically, an AI box is, you know, maybe a physical box or maybe, you know, more of a, a, uh, a conceptual one, but it's an AI system that is totally isolated from the outside world, uh, you know, takes no input and output uh, from anything other than the initial configuration and can only communicate perhaps through a, a text window uh, or a text box or, or you know, an, an audible speech to text version of that. And hopefully what this AI box could do would be able to answer any questions, you know, a genie almost, an, an oracle uh, named for, you know, the, the famous oracles uh, of, of, you know, mythology that uh, were able to see the future and, and with, uh, you know, essential omniscience. Uh, that's what an oracle would be. It would be a predictive engine uh, in a box that perhaps has access to, you know, every data point necessary to answer any question and predict, you know, what a stock price will be tomorrow or what, uh, you know, protein folding um, pattern will lead to the cure for this disease. And 
the the hope is that you know you could keep this AI, this brilliant AI, in this box, and and that it would still be a you know multi-trillion-dollar accomplishment because of the ways that you could capitalize on it. Um, it would certainly be limited in its impact on the world and its usability, and it's uh, I think for some it might almost feel like a tragic constraint of uh, such awesome you know compute power. Uh, but but I think there's you know very good reason to believe it's a safe way to do it, and I think there's actually good enough reason uh, to believe it might not even be safe enough. Uh, you know, Stuart Russell famously says you can't fetch the coffee if you're dead. That's sort of an allegory, a human allegory for for the need for this. And just for example, uh, you know, if an oracle in an AI box was was really this intelligent, was really able to predict tomorrow's stock price, was able to, and, and by the way, some of these, some of this is why um, engineers and, and AI theorists are so bullish on the idea. Perhaps you could ask this oracle, what is the safest way to build a strong AI? What is the safest way to deploy an AI solution in the military without collateral damage and things like that? Well, if a computer can really answer those questions, uh, perhaps it can also possess superhuman persuasion skills uh, and convince, uh, you know, its its human overlords or, or, or the engineers uh, that it is now safe to release or that it would actually uh, be more beneficial to release the superintelligence outside of uh, the box and that these outweigh the risks. You know, there are any number of ways, maybe some that we can't even think of because we are not super intelligent ourselves, uh, that such an oracle could trick uh, humans into allowing it out of the box, so to speak. And we've seen already uh, that in cybersecurity, you know, humans are by far uh, the, the weakest link in the chain and, and all the best, you know, password protection and encryption in the world seems to constantly be failing. Uh, because of social engineering and phishing attempts and and other you know hacking attempts that rely on um, that that rely on human error, I, I, I don't don't quote me on this because I don't have it up, but I, I believe even Stuxnet uh, was was famously um, deployed in a way that relied on a human uh, at least maybe not making an error, but but transferring uh, a drive from one area to another and knowing that that's how they would get you know some of their uh, some of their code onto an air-gapped uh, or sort of cold storage uh, space. Uh, and, and so anyway, you know, this is why uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson's comment of, uh, oh, I'll just unplug the AI was was really brought with a lot of criticism given his visibility in, in the community. And, and again, he did quickly uh, retreat that. And, and, you know, you have others, uh, Max Tegmark, for example, saying that they really do think uh, that there could be a major danger, uh, a big danger to uh, human survival uh, if there is an artificial intelligence sort of Cambrian explosion uh, where, you know, recursive self-improvement is what allows the AI to quickly reach and then almost even more quickly surpass and exponentially grow unimaginably beyond the level of current human intelligence. And I think, you know, it, it's it's an important point to remember that there's no, you know, it's not like uh, a computer will reach human intelligence and a bunch of, you know, the, a bunch of bells will ring and confetti will drop and all computer software development will pause and we will, you know, confer in one gigantic conference room to decide if we want to continue developing our AI capabilities. No, 
quite quite contrary to that, you know, super intelligence will develop at some point and a second or even a minute later will have, you know, done more calculation and far surpassed the amount of learning uh, that has ever been done by all humans in history. Uh, and so this idea of instrumental convergence it ties in nicely with that of unintended consequences and, and just speaks to the fact that uh, maybe you can't account for every possible scenario, but there appears to be a at least theoretical and now demonstrated convergence of instrumental and unintended sub-goals that AIs and and other agents pursue when pursuing unbounded and firmly instantiated, unambiguously defined end goals. Uh, And I think it's just a a very critically important thing to remember as AI research develops, uh, as it it accelerates, uh, the fact that there are these uh, there are things on the horizon, and there are people who have been talking about this, you know, for not only years but decades. And we're in the middle of, and hopefully at the end of, uh, you know, a global pandemic with uh, COVID nineteen coronavirus here. And this was something where people had sounded the alarms uh, a little bit. You can look, you can find talks, you can find people describing uh, the United States and the world in terms of being uh, unprepared to handle a pandemic. And as is often the case with with human nature. Only once we are truly presented with it and it really affects us uh, do we realize we need to act and, and hopefully we'll be very prepared for the next pandemic. Uh, the same thing is likely to be true in AI uh, and in this space where maybe it's maybe it's hopeless. Maybe it simply won't be possible to get people to recognize the importance of AI governance and AI ethics uh, until it is too late uh, or until at least something happens and they are being reactionary instead of being, you know, proactive, uh, reactive instead of proactive. But that said, the, I think the, the overarching concern or perhaps superseding concern is that, you know, with certain things like the pandemic, okay, at least in the scheme of things, you know, it, it, it didn't spread from patient zero to every other person on earth, you know, in one nanosecond. Obviously, it was a slightly more gradual spreading, although certainly it has been tragic and obviously has, has really done serious damage here in the U.S. and, and all over the world. Uh, the, the problem with an, an AI solution and an AI catastrophe, an AI pandemic, uh, is that there might be no situation available. There might be no vaccine to develop. There might not be masks that people can wear and social distancing that they can engage in. Uh, and so that is why uh, at least being aware of these uh, topics, you know, uh, particularly for those in the field is, is especially relevant uh, now more than ever. Uh, so with that, uh, thanks again, everyone, for joining us. This has been the AI Experience. <laughs>